All right, well, good morning, everybody. Glad you could join us for our Sunday worship. This is your first time. My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, happy Halloween to all those of you who are, have your kids dressed up. And yeah, like the background, even though this, if it's your first time, it's like, what's those doors doing here? It actually is very appropriate for the sermon series that we're going through, which is uh, we're, the church's family. And it feels more like a family when you have that background that's there. And to go through our series or to continue on, uh, we're going to look at actually from the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. If you didn't bring your Bibles, you will have in the background there. But we'll continue to uh, refer to this passage. And so if you have your Bibles or apps, turn to Mark chapter 10. And we'll be just reading through four short verses together. So Mark chapter 10, starting verse 13. This is the context is Jesus has been traveling and he's teaching and he's surrounded by people asking questions. And all of a sudden in verse 13, we come to this passage where Jesus is once again surrounded by people. And it says, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, meaning Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belong, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them. This is the reading of God's word. You know, oftentimes when people think about the word consumerism or being consumeristic, the idea of picking and choosing the best, we're always taught that this is a bad thing. Don't be consumeristic in the church. Don't be consumeristic in the culture. It's not good. It's bad. Uh, but I disagree. I disagree with that. I think there's nothing wrong with practicing consumerism. Why not choose the best if you have the option to choose the best? For example, I think there's nothing wrong with going to the best store and searching for the best product, and if you happen to find a better product later, to switch and get a better deal. I think there's nothing wrong with that, even though that's consumerism. I think there's nothing wrong with searching for not just a daycare, the best daycare for your children. And if you happen to have a daycare, and you find a better daycare, I don't think there's anything wrong with moving your kids to that better daycare. That's consumerism. I don't think collegians, when you're on campus and you're going to different Christian clubs, checking out different campus ministries, I think there's nothing wrong with looking for the best one, and the moment it's boring, you stop going. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong practicing consumerism in your life, the problem happens if you practice consumerism in all of life. That's when it becomes a problem, when everything becomes consumeristic. For example, marriage. It's not good to search and marry the best person, but then after you're married, you're looking for a better deal, looking for a better person, looking to switch partners. Even if it's not satisfying in marriage, that's still not good. And the reason why is because marriage is not a consumeristic relationship. It's built to be a covenantal one, meaning that there's a unique intimacy in marriage that's meant to get better over time. To end a marriage after one or two years of marriage is like trying to dry age beef, and after one or two days, you decide to cook it and eat it. You missed the entire point. It takes weeks to dry age that well, in order for you to get the full flavors of what you're trying to do with that piece of beef. 
In a similar way, marriage is not just something you consume, but you are trying to build through your marriage this new family with another individual. I would also argue, just like marriage, you can't also practice consumerism with the local church. It's not good just to join a church, the best church, and while you're there, you're looking, is there a better experience out there? Is there something nicer out there if I don't feel good here? And the reason why is because the church is not just any type of community. It was built and designed to be a covenant community where there's a unique intimacy that's built and you experience over time. Because the church, it's not something you just consume, but you're building also a new family. And not just with another individual, with an entire community. And that's why we're going through the sermon series, The Family of God. We're learning how Jesus, he's teaching us that the church, the people of God, we're not just to be a club, we're not just to be a weekend experience, but he calls us family. And this is challenging. If you've really been processing and, try and say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but what does this mean to me? This is very challenging to really accept that this is family. But I think what makes it even more challenging is the way the modern church is designed. The way the modern church is built today, far more challenging to view us as family than ever before. And here's why. In the early church, you know where they would meet together as church? They would meet in a home, in people's houses. And you would see grandparents, adults, children running around. And, that, and you say this is family, it kind of feels like family. Versus today in the modern church, we worship not in a home, but in a building where theatrical parts could just randomly show up in the background, right? And oftentimes, our experiences with churches is not with people all over different generations, but people like us, right? I mean, if you're like me, your first experience with church is you went to Sunday worship and your parents dropped you off in what they call youth service. And so everybody around you is your age. And then after youth service, where do you go for Sundays? College service. And all the Christians around you are collegians. And after you graduate college, where do you go? A lot of us, especially in an Asian church, English ministry. Where all the 20-year-olds up to 30-year-olds are there. And once they become 30, they're gone. They go to somewhere else. And so what happens is when you go to a local church where everybody is your peer, what do you look for in that type of church? Friends. We think church is meant for friends. I have to find friends because the church is designed with all my peers, and therefore the main connection I'm looking for with people are friendships because that's our experience with the church. But if the church is meant to be family, if it's meant to be a family, that means the church, it's not meant to just have peers. It's, a family is not just siblings. You know what you call siblings when you're just living together? Orphans. It's not meant to be that way. The church is meant to be a place where you see different generations interacting with one another in the same location. And even though a lot of us, we prefer to be with our peers, we prefer to find friends, it's actually really important for you to be surrounded by people of different generations. Sherry Turkle, she's an MIT professor, and she was saying, you know the most socially developed kids, the children who are most socially capable in society, are the children who are constantly interacting, not just with their peers, but with adults, with teenagers, with grandparents, with younger kids. Those are the most socially developed people 
that you will see. And I'd argue in a similar way, the most spiritually developed Christians are not those who are just around their peers, but they are interconnected with different people from different generations as a church. That's why last week we learned from Pastor Sam in the book of Titus that the primary means God uses to grow his people is when older people are intentionally leading the younger people. Now today, we're going to focus on one particular younger group that we are called to pour into and to focus on. Children. Kids. Now, if you're a collegian or if you're single, you may not think much about kids. It's the last type of sermon that you feel like might be relevant for you. Or if you're a parent with kids, you're probably sick of thinking of your kids. You're probably a little bit tired always thinking about them. But here's the thing. No matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're a parent or not, no matter whether you gravitate toward kids or not, you are going to have to deal with kids in your life. Do you realize that? Either you're going to have kids, or if you don't want kids, your siblings are going to have kids, or your friends are going to have kids, or if you're part of this church, trust me, we have a lot of kids coming. We got a lot of pregnant people in our church, and we have a lot of children in the other walls right now. And so here's the question. How, are you gonna, how do you view children? How, are you, how do you view kids? How do you actually relate to children in your life? And how are you supposed to relate to them? How are you supposed to relate to children? In the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, we see through Jesus' interaction with children how he calls his church and his followers how we're supposed to relate to the children around us. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 10 in three ways. First, we'll look at the problem of children. They're a problem. And we'll talk about why we think they are. But second, we're going to look at the value of children. What value do children have? And then lastly, we're going to look at the lesson of children. What can we learn from children? So the problem, the value, and the lesson. First, the problem of children. So Jesus, he was in this passage, he's journeying in Judea. His teaching ministry is flourishing. Crowds begin to surround them. And all of a sudden, we see these parents, they are bringing their children to Jesus. Look what it says in verse 13. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuke them. Now, when you see this scene, if you're like me, you imagine the scene at the Brea Mall where you imagine Santa Claus is there and all these parents are like, oh, touch my kid, bring my kids. And they're just doing that, right? That's not what's going on here. Parents are coming because they want Jesus to touch their children. The reason why is because when you touch somebody, it's meant to be a sign of a blessing, a good life. And the reason why the parents want to do that for their children is because in the ancient world, it was really tough to be a child. It was not a safe place. In the ancient world, the mortality rate was that six out of 10 children will pass away before the age 16. That was just normal. In other words, half of our children's ministry would not make it up to age 16 in the ancient world. That's just the way life was. And so when these parents, and especially hard for these parents because they rely upon their children to take care of them when they're older. They didn't have welfare back then. So what happened was when these parents hear this rabbi is in town, he's a miracle worker, they bring their children, and they're not just bringing their children for an extra blessing. The parents are bringing their worries. They are bringing their fears to Jesus, asking them, I'm scared to death what's going to happen to my kids. Can you bless them? Can you bless them? But here's the problem. While the parents are bringing their kids to Jesus, we see Jesus' disciples, they're not happy. 
Jesus' disciples respond by rebuking the parents. And this word rebuke, it's not like that Christian word, like, brother, I have a problem with what you're doing. That's not what the disciples are doing. The word rebuke is a very harsh word. It's pretty much like, hey, get the heck out of here. What are you doing? Get those kids out. That's how the disciples are responding. They rebuke them. Now, when we see the disciples see kids going, get out of here, kids, we think, man, those disciples are mean. Why are they treating the kids that way? But here's the thing. I'd argue the kids aren't, the disciples are not being mean. They're just reflecting the common attitude that their surrounding culture had towards kids. You know why the mortality rate was so high in the ancient world? Partially due to the lack of medicine diseases, but you know another big part of it was? The reason why is because the culture's view towards kids, it was so low. They didn't care about kids back then. Kids had the, the lowest social status in the ancient world, arguably lower than women and slaves at the time. They were the lowest on the totem pole. And the reason why is because kids, they contribute nothing to society. They didn't help the economy. They didn't help with the farm work. And so parents, they often saw childhood as, come on, hurry up, become a teenager so you make yourself useful. That's how they viewed kids. They were a nuisance. In the Greco-Roman world, that's why infanticide was absolutely normal. If you wanted to just get rid of your newborn baby, you just got rid of him or you got rid of her. It was normal. That's why in Greco-Roman law, if you're a father and your child disobeys you, it was your legal right to kill your child. It was legally able. It's okay. It's just a kid. You just had to put him down. That's how they thought back then. Unwanted children was very normal. You just have a kid. You don't want him anymore. You just leave him and you walk away. And the children are just standing there abandoned. And if they don't get eaten by wolves, what happens is other people will see an abandoned child. They'll take them into their home and they'll raise them up as slaves or they'll raise them up as prostitutes. And that was normal. And nobody had a problem with it because children were the lowest on the totem pole. Nobody valued them. Now today, a little bit different, right? Kids are a little bit more precious to us. We adore kids today. We think they're sweet. But I would argue, even though we have these nice sentiments towards children today, the world is not much safer of a place for them, and our view is not that much higher today. Here's what I mean. In the world, even though we have more books, childcare products, and safety rules than ever, do you realize that's like a small microcosm of the United States who care about kids like this? Kids are still the most vulnerable people in the world. 400,000 children are trafficked annually, shipped overseas. That's just the way the world works. 50% of all sexual abuse cases in the country involves children. And 3 to 10 million children every year are exposed to domestic violence. And so even though children are beloved by parents, they are still the most exploited people in society because there's still a low view of them. And that leads to the second thing, which is our view. Even though, again, a lot of you, I'm sure you have warm sentiments towards kids. Kids are cute. Kids are sweet. You want to take them home, though? You want to you have a kid and hang out with them? Not really, right? Even though we think kids are sweet, we don't value them. We don't value children. I mean, let me ask you a question. If you're younger, if you're not a parent, how many kids do you interact with on a regular basis? If you're like me, back when I was in my 20s, the last time I interacted with a child was when I was a child, right? Back in elementary school. Or that one time a year VBS camp, you will volunteer, and that's your interaction with children. But that's it. And you feel nothing is lost in your life. There's no loss. That's a service. It's a service. Or how many of you, 
If you see somebody, they go, oh, what, what do you do for a living? I am a lawyer at this huge company in L.A. We deal with thousands of clients, high celebrity clients. And someone else goes, oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a stay-at-home dad. Who do you respect more, naturally? Who do you naturally want to talk to more? Who wants to be a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad? Don't a lot of us think, I guess if my life doesn't work out, maybe. Even though you're raising a child at home, ah, that's, man, I guess if my life, that career does not pan out, I'll resort to that. Isn't that how a natural attitude of people is today? Or let me ask you a more personal question. How many of you want kids in your life? You know, today, people in the United States, they desire kids less than ever in the history of the United States. The CDC reported in 2018, fertility is at an all-time low in the United States. Parents, they birth kids far fewer than we ever had before. Back then, it was about average three to five kids or so. Today, it's about an average of one to two kids that parents have. And couples, they are trying for kids later than ever. They're pushing it back later than ever in history. The average age of parents who used to have children back in the 50s, 60s, age 21. Right now, it's age 26. And even some of us, we go, 26, even that's early. It's predicted to be about age 31 is going to be the new average of when people want children. Now, I'm not saying those are all bad things per se, but I'm asking why. Why is this taking place? Is it because of financial reasons? That makes sense. Is it because of health reasons? That makes sense. Or is it because we actually really struggle valuing children? Children are like, I don't know about them. Why do we struggle this way? Let me propose a couple of reasons why I think we do. Some of us have these philosophical or existential problems with kids. Kids, if you have too many kids, they overpopulate the earth. We, are, we're a, we have an overpopulation problem, and that's why we need to watch out for how many kids we have. You're like Thanos. You're thinking of all the goods, and we have to make sure we, comp- we keep the goods okay. And even though this is something that the 20th century has always talked about, in the 70s, in the 90s, in 2010s, overpopulation, overpopulation, and never has been tipping that, that, that past that tipping scale. We use that as a reason to explain our displeasure with kids. Or some of us think, you know, this world is an evil place. It's a cruel and filled with injustice. Why bring children into this? Why allow children to suffer in this world? Even though as a Christian, you say you believe that God redeems all things, that one day every tear will be wiped away. Oh, but children, too much evil for them. For some of us, that's the reason. I think if you get a little deeper, there's actually a deeper reason why some of us struggle with the idea of children. It's the issue of freedom. The issue of freedom. Many of us view having dependents or having kids as the loss of personal freedom and therefore the loss of happiness. In his book, Habits of the Heart, sociologist Robert Bella He says, you don't know how deeply shaped we are by this radical individualism in America and this desire to do what we want, when we want, how we want to do it. That's how we are shaped. Do what you want. That's freedom. And so when we see the parents in the back holding their kids during worship, when we hear the cries, when we hear the parents being tired, when we see them cracked out on social media, when we see, ask them, hey, you want to hang out? Sorry, I have to watch the kids. We go, no, thank you, not for me. I don't want that lifestyle. Because individualism, it makes it hard to imagine how can you be happy with a life like that? That doesn't look very happy. And here's the third issue that I think happens. is not just the issue of freedom, but the reason why kids, it's hard, the idea of life with them is our careers. 
Many of us are made to believe that it's our careers that are going to be the most fulfilling part of our lives. I mean, think about what you put your time and energy into in your 20s. Think about what you devote and invest your time into. Is it not to prepare or advance or find your career? And even though you get a career and it's really busy and it's a high-pressure career that takes a lot of time, what's funny is even though I'm so busy with my career, all of y'all have time to travel. You guys travel all the time. All of you have time for friends in your busy career. All of you have time for dating. You have time for even marriage despite your career. But when it comes to kids, oh, I'm too busy. It's too busy. Why? Because traveling, friendships, marriage, we see those as blessings, as helping us in life. But children, burden. That's a burden I need to wait on. Now again, I'm not, please don't take away going, man, this church wants me to have all these kids as young as possible. That is not what I'm saying at all, okay? We are not trying to go back to the 60s and saying well, that's the way you live life. I am not saying that. What I am saying is I'm simply observing the common attitude that I think most of us share about kids. We see them as a burden, a burden rather than a blessing. And again, why do we view kids this way? It's because we're like the disciples, in the Gospel of Mark, we've been formed far more by our society standards than by Jesus. We have inherited what our culture says about kids far more than what Jesus has said. And if you don't think that's the case, then coincidentally, our attitude towards children is the exact same attitude as the modern West. What a coincidence. You're being shaped. You're being formed in a certain way. And that's why Jesus came to the, to the world. Jesus came to the world not just to say, hey, I'm here, believe in me. But Jesus, tell, when he came to the world, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Meaning that I see reality the way it's supposed to be. You live in the kingdom of the world, Jesus says. I have brought the kingdom of God, the way God has designed this world. I have come, Jesus says. Not that you just have life, but life abundantly, true life. And that's why the Bible tells us don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because the patterns of this world, as good as some of it might be, there's so much brokenness in it. It does not lead to true life, and that includes our attitudes about children. Because when you look closely at those issues about children, you actually realize they don't hold up very well. For example, freedom. We think that I can't have kids because they strip away my freedom. I mean, look at these parents. They're isolated. They're cracked out postpartum. It's hard, right? There's a New York Times article out that caught my eye. It was called, Parenting Was Never Meant to Be Like This. Non-Christian author. Uh, her name is Jessica Gross. And she was saying, pretty much it was during COVID, she was like, why is parenting so hard? Why is it so stressful? And everyone seems to be stressed out by it. And at first she thought, it's just kids are hard. But she realized, no, it's not the kids, it's our culture. Our culture makes it hard. You know, his, historically, the way parents would parent children, they practice a type of parenting called alloparenting. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, alloparenting. Look it up. Throughout history, that was the normal way you parent children. With other parents, other family members, you parent the child together. But since the 50s, since the rise of the nuclear family, we now no longer parent allo-parenting ways. 
but we parent in an individualized way. And that's very unique and very hard. Again, Jessica Gross in New York Times, she says like this, quote, throughout basically all of human history, parents have never, ever raised children in isolated nuclear units the way that we've been doing for much of 2020 with little to no hands-on family or community support. Individual families being completely responsible for children is absolutely unheard of. From colonial America through the early 20th century, there are almost no parents whose days were dedicated to just childcare without support. It's crazy. In the article, she was mentioning that, you know, moms back in the 1950s who were stay-at-home moms, they spend less time one-on-one -on -one with their kids than moms today who work at, as a career. We spend more time with our kids one-on-one -on -one as working parents than the, children, the parents back in the 50s and 60s who were stay-at-home parents. You know why? Because for us, we don't have friends. We don't have community. We have adopted a lifestyle where we are constantly moving and uprooting ourselves away from the communities that we have. We have chosen a career that is way too hard to manage within the time frame of 20, 30, 40 hours a week. And we feel way too guilty giving our kids to daycares and to child cares because we feel like we have to raise our children ourselves, even though that is absolutely not uh, the precedent of history. In other words, you know what strips your freedom away? It's not children. It's all the choices you have made with your life before you had children. You have set yourself up where adding children will strip away your freedom, not because of the children. You already stripped away your freedom with your career choices, with your communal life, with your uprooting decisions. The problem is not kids. There's something about America or our culture that's kind of broken. Here's another thing, career. We don't think about children because we think about our career. Our career is going to fulfill us. And you know, if you're in your, when you're in your 20s, when you're in your mid-30s, yeah, it feels like that. But you know, when you become in your late 30s, your 40s, things kind of change. Things change. There was a psychologist I was reading about his reports of how he would meet with different people, and he would meet with these 40 or 60-year-olds who had amazing careers, sacrificed everything for their career, and they're so depressed. They're so depressed. And the reason why is because they were said, I, you know, I never knew, I was never told that by working 80 hours a week to fulfill my career, that once I get older, nobody's going to be there to take care of me. Nobody's, nobody's going to be there to share this life with them. And even though many of us, we know this, we know, yeah, of course, career is not the most important thing. Of course, relationships are more important. Right now, you are setting up your life where everything's going to revolve around your career. You're setting up your life as if everything's going to be filled, fulfilled through your career. And what's actually going to happen is that's going to lead to a road of brokenness and a road of loneliness and a road of sadness. And we don't feel it much because a lot of us are in our 20s and early 30s. But talk to the person who's later in their, in their life and what that's like to dedicate your life just to your career. So here's a quick application. What's your attitude towards children? Is it shaped more by society or is it shaped more by Jesus? Look at your life. Do you interact with kids? Would you ever help in a school or a little league or a church? Or does that make you go, oh, I'll set up the church. Please, anything but the children. Why? Or if you're somebody who's thinking about having kids, do you cringe at that? Do you want as few as possible, as late as possible? Like, I'm not saying you have to have a large family, but what's your reason? What's the reason? Where's your heart when it comes to children? And does Jesus have any say in your heart when it comes to our view of children? Because Jesus says he sees reality, 
He sees true life, and that includes how we view children. Now, the question is, how should we view children? At least the second part, the value of children. You know, in a, in a culture, both modern and ancient, that view children in such a low way, Jesus is radical. He's very radical. Look what Jesus says in verse 14. Disciples, get those kids out of here. In verse 14, look what it says. But when Jesus saw what was happening, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is an emotional person. Even though he's God, he's filled with emotion. He's happy, he's sad, he's angry. This is the one time, though, throughout the whole Gospel that we're told Jesus is indignant, meaning furious. Jesus was furious. Why? I remember one time I was helping a friend move out of his home, and as we're moving stuff, I pulled out this bag. All these golf clubs, <laughs> falls to the ground. And he was Asian, so he couldn't emotionally process well what he was feeling, but I knew he was angry. He just had this quiet, you know, facial expression. He's like, that's okay. And he's just, like, putting his golf clubs in. I'm just like, dude, I'm helping you move. Like, why are you so mad at me? And then later on, I was like, oh, the reason why he's so mad is this guy loves golf. And I just mess with his baby. And that's why for a lot of us, you know what you really care about, depending on what you get really mad about. Jesus, if he's followed his whole career at this point, loves children. He always healed children. He used them as sermon illustrations. He always welcomed them. And that's why he's enraged when he sees the disciples shooing away the kids. Now, why does Jesus care so much about children? What is it about them? Even though they're at the bottom, why does Jesus say they're so precious to me? Well, one is just a Judeo view of Christian, uh, Christian view of kids, radically different. We don't view people based upon what you can do to give you value. Christianity viewed it where it's not what you do, but it's what value was assigned to you that makes sure that you are valuable and everybody is made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So even though you are a child and you can't contribute anything, you are valuable. And that's why the early church, historically, they cared for all kinds of children, disabled children, sick children, poor children, because they're made in the image of God. But Jesus, he actually ups it up a value, ups it up a notch. He ups it up a level. He tells us, or we see, he doesn't just elevate these kids and value them because they're made in the image of God. But look what he says again in verse 14. To such belongs to the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You know, years ago, I went, years ago, so not any recent weddings, but years ago, I went to a wedding. And I remember after the wedding, we had the little, you know, cocktail hour. And then before the reception time, they said, find your seats. And I did what all of you probably do. I went to the seating chart, and I wasn't looking for my table number only. I was looking for the names around my name to see who I'm sitting with. And I remember at this particular wedding, I saw my name, and I saw the names I was sitting with, and I was like, ah. Oh. And the reason why is because it was going to be a long night, and I couldn't leave. It was people who, they weren't the type of people who I would necessarily want to talk to. They weren't the people who I would accept in my social sphere. And while y'all are judging me, you have that standard too, okay? I know you guys also have that as well. We all have certain people who we want to sit with. We all have certain people we gravitate towards. And for me, I like talking to people who are funny, who are insightful, who are significant. I mean, if I saw a celebrity name on there, I'd be like, I can't wait for dinner. Can't wait to sit next to them. What's interesting, though, is that what Jesus is telling us here is he is explaining those who are welcomed in his social sphere, his kingdom. And what Jesus says is, I want to sit with the lowest of the lows. The people who are the lowest of society, those who the world sees as having no value, 
I want to sit next to those folks because I see the value in them. I see that they are intrinsically valued. And so while the world sees, the ki- sees kids as burdens, Jesus, he says, no, they're really valuable. And the fact that they're really valuable and Jesus says it, it actually explains a lot of our personal experiences with children. Do you realize people who spend the most time with kids, they tend to be the most changed? They're the most transformed people. When you get a new job, you tend to be just be tired or happy. When you're married, you tend to have more things to do and fun things to do. But when you become a parent, your life is just different. It's different. All of a sudden, minivans are amazing. You love minivans, and you look out for those. You're more tired, way more tired than ever before. But you know what else is interesting about being a parent? You don't care how you look anymore. Like when you're a parent, like you just don't care how you dress. You don't care what people think about you. Your self-image just kind of goes down. You know what's weird is when you become a parent, you grow more tender. I see men who I never, ever thought were emotional become emotional messes after having kids. There's one guy in our church, he tells me, I just look at my kid walk and I just start crying. They're not even doing anything special. They're just walking. He's like, oh, he just starts crying. And as a man myself, I'm like, I feel you. I understand. I completely get it. Because kids change you. They have this impact on you that nothing else in the world does. And that's why it explains why people, when they have children, children tend to be their greatest source of joy. Even though parents, we parents, we sure do complain a lot about our kids. Man, we complain a lot. They're annoying. They're tiresome. But man, we sure do post about them all the time. Man, I know who's a parent in our church. I can't even see you on your Instagram story. It's just your kids. All you do is post about your kids. We spend so much money on our kids. We take trips with our kids. And we're the people who are crying the most at their graduations and their weddings. Why? Because children become our source of joy. There's something about them. And not only do children become our greatest source of joy, but they're also our greatest source of sorrow. You know, parents, they're only as happy as their saddest child. Have you heard that before? A parent is only as happy as their saddest kid. Because unexpectedly, when you have kids, your, your emotions are so tied to your kids that if one child's sad, you're sad. You just can't help it. This explains why people who struggle with infertility, it's a really unique struggle that they didn't know would be so hard. In your 20s, you think, oh, I'll have kids whenever I want. And you know, if I don't have them, it's all good. But again, when you hit your 30s or even your 40s and you can't have children, it's a unique, sad depression that you just did not anticipate. This hole that's just kind of there. And this explains why we have a word for somebody who loses a spouse. We call them widows. We have a word for a child who loses a parent. We call them orphans. But there's no word for a parent who loses a child. Because there's no word to capture that pain. You see, Jesus, he understands that. He knows how valuable children are. He sees the reality of how valuable they are. And we don't see it until we get close to it. And once we get close to it, we understand. We understand. And so as followers of Jesus, if children are actually valuable, despite how we tend to think of them, we're called to also value children, both corporately and personally. This is part of our discipleship. Corporately, this is our call as a church. Remember, the Gospel of Mark, it's not just written to you, it's written to churches. It was originally written and sent to different local churches. It's meant to shape the local church's view of children, despite the society's view of children's. And, you know, for our church, we have no excuse not to care for kids. You know why? We have so many of them now. 
We have so many kids in our church and more are coming. More are coming. And we naturally think, good luck parents. Good luck Tim Lee, children's director. Good luck volunteers. We'll be eating snacks while you all do your job. But as members of the church especially, Jesus values and loves children. And churches filled with the spirit, we're called to value and love them too. You reflect the heart of Jesus when you love kids. That means we serve kids. That means we babysit kids and all the parents said amen. That means we talk to children. That means we look to invest in them. You see, a lot of us, when we think of churches and we want to grow to follow Jesus, you think, of, I want to find friends to do accountability with. I want to find older people who can mentor me and teach me about Jesus. But you know what's actually a healthy church that helps you grow? There's kids there. There's children there. Do you ever look out for kids and see this is a church to grow in? This is a church to grow in. You know why? Because Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 9, verse 36 and 37, and he took a child, put him in the midst of them, taking him in his arms, and he said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. This is precious to Jesus. Mission trips are great. Bible study classes, wonderful. But when you embrace children, mm, you understand Jesus a bit more. So corporately, this is our call. We are called to love children, not as an option, but it's part of our discipleship as a church. But even personally, we're called to do this as well. And I know this is hard. I know, again, I say all this, and I know for some of us, oh, this is hard. I just don't like kids. I just don't like kids. I don't really want kids right now if I'm married, and to be honest, I never really want them. Just know if you're in that position, I empathize like crazy because I didn't want kids either. I never liked kids before. You know, when if you look at my life history, I, I was not that guy who had younger siblings who were babies and I knew how to take care of them. I was the youngest in my family. I was the baby, and so I never babied anybody. I never grew up with young cousins or anything like that, so I had no sense of relationship with children at all. I was that guy who was really awkward. He gave a new baby to him. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, take him away. I didn't know how to deal with them. I would normally serve in a kid's camp once a year, but that was the extent of my interaction with kids because I didn't really care about kids. Go to the education place, kids. Go, go. Like, that's all, that was like my mental, I didn't really do that. That was my mental attitude. And even after I got married, whenever I saw my friends getting kids and they were young parents, man, I felt bad for them. They looked cracked out. They looked messed up. I had no rush having kids at all. In fact, I would tell my wife, Lena, I'd be like, hon, if we never had a kid and it's just me and you, I'm good. I'm good. And that's the reason why is because even though I knew kids are supposed to be a blessing, I know. But in reality, they were a burden. I'll get one if I have time. Ah, if I have nothing else to do, maybe. Maybe I'll get one. And that's why when my wife got pregnant with our son, I thought, like many of you probably would think, once you have, if you have a kid, my life is over. Life is over. No more traveling. No more traveling because I'm going to have a kid. No more late nights with my friends because I'm going to have a kid. No more video games because I'm going to have a kid. It acted, I acted as if someone died in my life rather than someone being born. Because I thought this is the end. It's over. But you know what's interesting now? My, after my son got born, I always tell people I look back and that was not the end of my life when my son was born. I always said that was the beginning of my life. That was the beginning. I don't remember what singleness was like. I don't remember what life without kids was like. Michael Bublé, which is so random, right? But Michael Bublé, he's a singer, 
And he, you know, good-looking guy. He would jump around from girlfriend to girlfriend. And he was just kind of like that playboy type of guy. Uh, later, he got married and became a father. And he was interviewed by Entertainment Weekly. And they asked him, hey, like, how's it being a dad? That must be hard for you, right? Because you're used to, like, living life and so forth. And he was like, I love it. I love being a dad. And he had a quote that just resonated with me. He said this quote, talking about fatherhood. I think my kids, they gave me a perspective on life that I think I very badly needed. It's hard to be able to quantify that level of love. I didn't even know that there was that color in the spectrum. I didn't know that level of love existed. But it makes me better at everything. It allows me to pull more emotion and to be more honest and just to be in the moment. I can't help but agree. Children, yeah, it's tiring, but they colored a spectrum that you just never knew existed. And I always tell people, the only regret I have about having kids now is I regret not having them sooner. I wish I had my kids sooner. Because I discovered what Jesus said was true. Children are a blessing. They're a blessing. And we're called to embrace them. We're called to embrace children. At least the last point, the lesson. Jesus tells us don't just embrace and love them, but you know, you actually could learn something from them. Something very deep that you can't learn anywhere else. In verse 15, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Oftentimes people see this going, you need to be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. They go, what does that mean? And we tend to think, oh, because children, they're so innocent. They're so virtuous. They're so pure. Let's be like that. Clearly not parents saying that. If you're a parent, you know kids are not innocent. Dude, total depravity is real. Like, we, we, we are Calvinists. Like, we get that doctrine. Like, there's something about that where, like, children are not innocent. They're so self-centered. They're so selfish. They're so needy. So needy. So why on earth is Jesus telling us to be like kids? What is there to imitate to enter the kingdom? And here's what it is. You know what children are? Yep, they are selfish. They're self-centered. But they are needy. They are helpless. They can't do anything on their own. And Jesus says, that needs to be you. That needs to be you. Notice the kids, they don't go to Jesus in the story. Parents have to bring the kids to Jesus. We can't come to Jesus on our own. Notice the kids, they don't enter the kingdom of God. They have to receive it. And Jesus says, yep. And if you want to follow me, you need to be like that. You need to be like that. To be a follower of Christ, the first thing you have to do is you must admit you have nothing to offer God. There is nothing you have to offer him that he's going to be impressed by. My daughter paints me pictures all the time. She tries to buy me stickers all the time. I take them going, thank you, and I toss them because I don't need it. I don't do it in front of her. But I'm like, it's on the pile because there's no intrinsic value to that. There's nothing my daughter can do that she can give me that I will find to be impressive. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you. You really think what you did in India and all the hard work, Jesus is like, oh, now I'll be your father. You read your, you'd memorize scripture? Oh, my gosh. Okay, now you can enter the kingdom. He don't care about that in terms of wanting to father you that way. The main way that moves God's heart is, oh, you need me? Oh, you need me? Okay. That's so hard. It's so hard. Because especially if you think you're somebody, it's hard to admit that you're like a child. It's hard to admit that. That's the only way to come before the Lord admitting I'm like a child. There's nothing I could do. And do you know how you've done that? 
Do you know if you're actually coming to God like you're a child? How happy are you? How anxious are you about life? It's a good measure, and here's why. Um, Recently, my wife and I, we went to SeaWorld with both of our kids. Bad idea, okay? That's a bad idea. When your kids are that young, you don't want to take them anywhere further than Cerritos. Okay, that's just not a good idea. And here's why. When we went, oh my gosh, we didn't know the weather was going to be cold in the morning and hot sometime in the afternoon. How do you pack for that? So we just had to pack everything. We didn't know what kind of food was going to be there because COVID, we didn't know which restaurants were open, so we packed food. And we actually get to the park. We don't know which attractions are going to be open because, again, COVID. So my wife and I were going. We're carrying all these sweaters, all these snacks. And we're just walking around. It's hot. And we're just like, this is so annoying. And then we see where the attractions Oh, what time's the dolphin show? We are stressed out the entire time. But you know my kids? You know what they're doing? We're pushing the stroller while we're stressed out. Sleeping. Just sound asleep. When they wake up, they're running around, smiling, having fun. Don't, not a care in the world. We try to get food. They're like, let's get that. Let's get that. And you're just so happy. Well, my, my wife and I were so stressed. And it's like, why? Why are they so happy? And I really think if you asked them and they were able to articulate why they're so happy, here's why. Everything we have to worry about, mommy, daddy gots it. They got it. They always take care of our food. They'll tell us where to go. We're just going to enjoy the ride. We're just going to enjoy the ride. And that's why you notice throughout the Bible, the most common command that's ever given, more than any other command, it's not to love, it's not to forgive, it's not to care. You know what the most common command is in the Bible? Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. It sounds impossible, right? It sounds impossible. And the reason why it's impossible is because we don't come to God like children. We don't view him as father. We often come to him like workers, like slaves, like just people who God doesn't really care about. Because if God was really our father and we were really his children, we would trust that God's going to take care of it. Yes, we're stressed. Yes, we're worried. But God's going to take care of it. This is how children approach their parents. And that's why the application for us is perhaps if we're anxious and joyless, we're not approaching God like a child. Do you know what it looks, do you know how children approach their parents? Do you know how they talk to our parents? It's not polite. They don't go, oh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, father. May I have a word with you? Uh, please, sir, may I have some serious? That's not how my kids talk to me. They go, dad, I need you right now. Dad, why is, why is the world like, why does this animal have this tail? Tell me. And they ask the same questions over and over again. They tell us the same things over and over again, the same facts over and over again. They cry all the time, telling us they're just hurting. Sometimes my daughter come up, she just goes like this. I go, okay, I'll pick her up. I just know what the routine is. That's how children interact with their parents. That's how God wants us to interact with them. Do you pray like that? Do you pray like the Psalms, filled with anguish, raw emotion, frustrated, your annoying questions, but you just struggle with it. Just know God's not annoyed by that. God's not annoyed by that. Because he's not this master whose time you're wasting. He's not this boss who's saying, hurry up. He's a father. He's a father. And I love this quote by Tim Keller who says this quote, the only person 
Who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. And so, are you acting like a child towards God? Do you see him as a father? My hope is that we could start now. In Mark chapter 10, we see the parents bring their children, not just their children, but their fears to God. And that's how we start. Let's receive grace by bringing our worries to Jesus right now in prayer. Not as servants, but as a child. I know some of you are worried about things. You're worried about your financial status, your career status. How can you afford this? How do you feel about yourself? Let's take a moment to lift it up to the Lord. Just be honest. Don't, who cares about what God's going to think of it? Just for a moment, just be raw. Act like he's your father. Some of you are worried about your relationship status, your singleness, your dating life, your marriage. Lift it up to the Lord. Let him know. Some of you are worried about your children. I know I am. My kids are not here today. They're sick. They're sick right now. How are they developing? How am I doing with them? Or some of you, you know, some of you, you're worried. You've been worried your whole life. You're just a worried wart because it's been a long time since you've seen God as Father. And I invite you to come to him by faith as a son. And so let's take a moment, if we could respond, just a simple moment, to pray, to share our fears, to share our longings to the Lord, and to do it like a child. So if I invite the praise team up, and we'll take a moment to pray, and then we'll all close together. So let's take a moment, lift up our fears and our worries to the Lord. Let's all pray.